Welcome to Real Talk for Real Teachers. I'm Dr. Becky Bailey, the creator of Conscious Discipline. I'm an expert in education, child development, and a lifelong teacher and learner. For those listening who are not aware of Conscious Discipline, it is a comprehensive, trauma-informed self-regulation program that integrates these wonderful three things, social-emotional learning, school culture, and discipline. In general, it provides adults and children with the skills to be disciplined enough to set and achieve goals, conscious enough to know you're off track, and connected enough to others so you are willing to persevere and return to your cherished values and the path you set. Today, we're talking about consequences. Now, this is an extremely important topic for all teachers. Every teacher and administrator has seen the same children receive the same consequences over and over again without any significant behavior changes. Of course, what we do see is discouragement for all. The reason for this is most people have confused consequences with punishments, or they just use the terms interchangeably. In conscious discipline, we differentiate consequences from punishment in very significant ways. So, and let's just think about this. So how many listening have experienced the consequences of their own actions? And how many listening have experienced that consequence again and again and again without ourselves making behavior changes? I know in my life, I have ate too much many times. I drank too much a number of times. And both had very negative impacts on my stomach. Yet I continue with the same sabotaging behavior for many, many decades here. And I'm sure I'm not alone in this. I've also experienced the consequence of my actions and actually changed my behavior. That is when the light came on within me. And I truly began to metabolize the differences between consequences and punishments. When I was able to reflect on my behavior, when I was able to own my behavior instead of blame others, when I was able to reflect on it instead of project it onto others, I was able to learn from it. I discovered that when I berated myself and blamed others, I continued the automatic choices. I was actually on automatic pilot and not very conscious of my own actions. So to learn from our mistakes, you must be in the higher centers of your brain where that reflection is possible. To constantly repeat your mistakes, most likely you're in the lower centers of your brain where upset, blame, and automatic pilot resides. And the journey from the lower centers to the higher centers is what conscious discipline is all about. So many people ask me, where are the consequences in conscious discipline? My answer is everywhere, every day, every moment. So for us to use consequences as a learning opportunity, we have to rid ourselves of some misunderstandings and some myths about consequences in general and differentiate them completely from punishments. So first, a couple things to keep in mind. Consequences happen all the time. They're not something we make up and deliver to children. The reason we're not aware of that is we're not aware of ourselves that often. Every thought, feeling, or action has a consequence. We know this. Think negative thoughts, we stress our body out. Think positive thoughts, We support our bodily functions. Just most of us aren't conscious of these thoughts, feelings, and actions. And that's why in conscious discipline, we shift from judging to noticing. Noticing is at the foundation 
of all of conscious discipline, noticing children's behavior, noticing children's nonverbal behaviors, noticing our own thoughts, noticing our own feelings, noticing our own behavior. The second thing that needs to be kept in mind is that the true consequence of an action is how we feel about it, not the outcome itself. So let's go back to me. You know, I may have a goal of losing weight, and I sabotage it by eating poorly so that I look in the mirror and it doesn't look so good for me. But actually, the true consequence of that is how I feel after I ate that much. I kind of overglaze that and focus on, oh, my gosh, I'm going to gain weight. That's a thought. But if I think about the feeling, I feel stuffed, I've overeaten, lethargic. So the true consequence is how one feels about it, like a child who would fail a test. Failing the test is not the consequence. How do you feel about failing the test? Number three, consequences motivate. They do not teach. And that's why consequences are only effective for children who feel connected to one another and have a sense of belonging. Disconnected children do not care. Nothing you can do can motivate me off I don't care. And we end up then upping what we call consequences, which are really punishments to try to make them feel even worse in hopes, quote, to motivate them. So with that in mind, there are three types of consequences. They're the natural ones. These are the ones that happen without any orchestration from an adult. We know these. It's the example of walking out when it's cold without a coat. You get cold. It's touching a hot stove with a hand. You burn it. So they're very natural. And these types of consequences, natural ones, they motivate children to learn new skills. I want you to hear that. Natural consequences motivate children to learn new skills. Then we have logical consequences. They, they motivate connected children to use skills they already possess. And logical consequences are the ones we make up. If you do this, then this will happen. So you can see we use logical consequences on children who don't have skills. We're saying use these skills. They don't have them. It's like a backpack full of skills. They do not have it in their backpack. They're pulling out the skills they know, which is F-U. They're pulling out skills they know, which is throwing a table. They're pulling out every skill they already have, showing you, I don't have that in my backpack. And we're going to give them a logical consequence. You can't go to recess unless you pull out that other one that's supposed to be in the backpack. It's not there. So you can see how that discourages them, us, and totally ineffective. And the last one is problem-solving, the last type of consequence. And problem-solving motivate adults to find ways to connect with the child so that the other two consequences can work. The differentiation then, ultimately, punishment's pretty simple. It's the intent to have them feel bad, to feel guilty, to feel shameful. Consequences ask you to reflect on your behavior and its outcome, to feel the feelings associated with it, use them to motivate you to change your behavior. Punishments intend to have you feel bad. So today we're going to talk with Amy Niemeyer. Now we've talked with Amy before and she's uh, wonderful to come back to us and share more of her brilliance with us. Amy has been working in the field of education for 18 years. I love this progression. This career ladder for Amy inspires me. She started as a paraprofessional. She went to a classroom teacher. She went into administration. 
and she's currently in her sixth year as principal of Slate Run Elementary. So she's done it all. Uh, I don't know, Amy. We're going to have to find out if you ever the custodian or the cafeteria worker or the bus driver. I was a cafeteria monitor. Oh, there we go. All right. So Amy and the Slate Run staff started uh, her journey in conscious discipline in 2013, and she's now a certified conscious discipline instructor. It's nice to have more principals on to help others. So welcome back, Amy, to Real Talk for Real Teachers. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me. Well, so you haven't been a bus driver or a custodian? I have not been a bus driver or a custodian, though sometimes if those, well, sometimes if the custodian's out, you do pick up a mop or a broom or um, help clean up a spill and that kind of thing. Bus driver, I got to stay back from that. Just my (laughs) car is all I can do to keep myself safe there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're a mom, so you're doing it all anyway. So you've been implementing Conscious Discipline for five years now. So let's just review some of the results you've seen in five years. And I know you just moved into a temporary building, so that could have given you an assessment of how well y'all can handle stress. So what have you really seen, not the data per se, just your own eyes? What do you see as the results and what do you feel in the building? The culture in our building has shifted tremendously. Um, when I became uh, principal, it, this is actually now the, the start of my seventh year. Oh. We added another school year with an early start here um, in southern Indiana. We're on a balanced calendar. So this is um, year seven, and uh, it was very chaotic. The culture was toxic. Teachers were at each other, administration and teachers. It's a toxic culture and behaviors and all in the building of adults and children. Um, it was chaotic. So what you're saying is that uh, when you kind of took over this position, there was a toxic culture in your school with the gossiping and all that kind of thing that we usually attribute to toxicity. Is that correct? That is correct. So how soon as you began implementing conscious discipline did you see that culture start shifting? We saw that culture start shifting by the end of year one as we were learning together, spending time uh, each month as an entire staff. Uh, We also brought in our support staff, which really helped shift that culture even more quickly um, with training our bus drivers and our uh, paraprofessionals and our cafeteria staff. And we really started to feel uh, by the end of that first year coming together more as a school family, more as a team. And so let's go back just a review. So and when you took over to school, how was the school doing academically? When I took over the school academically, we had just um, really made a huge shift in our district. The population changed by 50 percent in uh, one school year because we had closed some schools and uh, academically things were not going well um, because that toxic culture permeated into the academic setting for our students and for our our teachers. Do you get the letter grades like we do in Florida? We do get letter grades. And what was your letter grade when you stepped in? Did you see an improvement from where you started academically, and how soon did you start seeing it? We were a C um, uh, initially when we really started that implementation or about the um, after the second year, we were a C and those letter grades uh, started. And uh, the past two school years, uh, 16 and then 17, that they've not released yet for 18, uh, we were A's both years. Wow. Well, that was a pretty good shift. Yes. Uh, and so how have you felt about your job? Did it change your 
relationship with your own job as you went through your own work with conscious discipline? It absolutely um, has empowered me. It excites me to come to school, to work with our teachers, uh, to really support our students um, that, and the engagement that we're receiving with our families um, as they are supporting us in the conscious discipline journey uh, has really allowed me to enjoy being here and um, to know that we can handle the stress and we can handle the conflict. And um, when we work together as a team and address it and put our skills into place that we can really make a difference. Wonderful. And the, the last one is, have you seen any impact similar to that with your teachers? Or did you have a teacher retention problem? Or do you not have one now? Or is that kind of irrelevant to it all? We um, were having some teachers that were really feeling a lot of burnout. I know one teacher came to me um, very early on in my principalship and said, I have a three-year plan. I'm working this photography thing. I, I'm stressed out and I can't do this anymore. And she is now a leader in our conscious discipline action team and helping support her colleagues uh, as they implement in their journey in their classrooms to really support and, and absolutely loves her job and um, has even shared, you know, I had this three-year plan that was six years ago um, and loves being here and supporting students and then as a teacher leader on our staff uh, each and every day. Wow. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. So we're going to start in now with consequences. You've been around conscious discipline now long enough to know when people come in for training and stuff, they want to jump right to those consequences and they certainly want to know where they are in conscious discipline and how come we took them out. Have you heard that? Yes, we have heard that in our schools and our districts. And, and I think um, that's a journey that we have to help others with. Okay, so let's help them with that. So tell me about when you kind of got hold of the difference between a consequence and a punishment and really grabbed hold of that notion what was that process like for you? And then we'll take it about how you shared it with teacher. But let's talk with your own self first. Did it make sense once you kind of differentiated consequences from punishments? It did. And really reflecting on, um, you know, we, we have a choice when conflict happens and we can punish or we can try to rescue or save them from a situation or we can teach so that there's that really um, lasting behavioral change or that we really do learn um, from the situation and can do it differently as we move forward. So what I'm hearing you saying is that a consequence of not having a skill could be acquiring a skill. Absolutely. Abs <laughs> and we work to do that every day here at Slate Run. So have you seen that impact in your students, especially these chronic ones that would have been called the serial offenders that would be always in the office, always suspended. You know, they're always, quote, missing out on the reward or getting the punishment. We have seen that in our students. We um, tracked data um, to share with our school improvement plans and things. And so our students that were uh, kindergarten, when we started our journey and our implementation and learning about conscious discipline, they just finished fourth grade with us last year. We saw a 70% decrease in office referrals and the power that we've seen from them being able to participate in classroom celebrations and school-wide celebrations and support their peers and, and work together as a school family has been really incredible. 
Wow, that's uh, 70% is huge. And so how did you help your staff kind of let go of that need to punish as, quote, a consequence and actually use consequences as a teaching tool and a reflection and helping children own their own responsibility for their upset and their behavior? How did you help them with that shift? We really uh, do spend a lot of time together with our Conscious Discipline Action Team leading, um, working with us as adults. We know it's an adult first, uh, and so we have to really stay in the higher center of our, our brains and, and our executive state. And when we're our exe- in our executive state, we're able to see behavior um, as that call for help, um, see mistakes as a, an opportunity to learn. And when we support each other in that and we um, as a team bring to the table tools um, that come from our school family, we are able to see that shift with students and with the um, adults then in our school community. And so we spend a lot of time as a team of teachers and grade levels and then uh, a full team of uh, like an intervention or a care team looking at uh, how can we support the school family as a, as a core and in the students that need more support, what connection tools, what safety tools are we going to use to put um, that in place within the classroom uh, and teachers are then able to stay in their um, executive state or shift themselves um, when those upset moments happen and, and teach those students the new skills when, when they're ready to learn. And you brought up some very important things there. When we give a quote, a punishment to those kids that seem not to belong, have you seen that to be effective at all? No. Now, those are the students that you continue to see for the same behaviors, probably the similar time of day, um, similar over and over again. So you're putting a lot of emphasis, then it sounds like, in creating that school family culture so that you could bring these marginalized children from the I don't care position in their mind to the I do care and I am cared for position. And then they're more likely to experience the consequences of their action in a way that they can change behavior. Is that correct? That's correct. We absolutely know that connection and and willingness um, precedes the cooperation. So we have to develop that relationship and uh, develop those connections then we have the willingness, then um, they care um, because they're a part of that school family. They're safe. They, they're loved. And then once you can pull them in, so now we've got rid of the I don't care issue pretty much, and that takes some time and a lot of skills, as you well know. Then you have the natural consequences, you know, the, the normal interpersonal stuff in the day that's irritating, you know, bumping into each other and touching each other's hair and grabbing stuff and slightly being off task. I'm not talking about huge fights in the hall. I'm just talking about pushing, shoving, grabbing, name calling, all that. Uh, Have you found that using natural consequences for that, using that as a teaching moment, has cut down a lot of that activity? Absolutely. Uh, Definitely now in our journey, you know, five to six years in, um, students uh, are empowered to use their big voice and to be assertive and say, you know, I don't like it when you call me stupid. My name is Amy. Uh, Call me by my name and and really um, empowering them. And and that because they're connected and they're in that relationship here in the school family, uh, it cuts down on a lot of that interrupting the class time and uh, needing to come to the office because they're handling it and they're problem solving and they're working together. Beautiful. And then 
for those kids who actually have learned those new skills, like I don't like it or when you push me, say excuse me, or I don't like it when you back up in the line, walk forward, when they learn those assertive skills that we call the big voice, uh, have you found then as, as they're connected and they learn the skills that when an illogical consequence is applied to them, asking them to use a skill they already have, say they may have some kind of logical consequence, does that be effective in motivating them to use the new skill? It is effective. And when you can offer that empathy, and and I know it's hard, but we handle mistakes as an opportunity to learn. And um, that this is uh, the consequence that happens, then they're able to shift and come back to it um, and, and realize that we have to be helpful in our school family. And um, sometimes we all have those moments where we've um, been hurtful and we can shift back and, and still pull back together as a school family. Wonderful. So let me ask you this, come back to you a little bit. What's been your biggest struggle with practicing consequences in your personal life instead of what we often do, which is self-punish ourselves? Well, that is um, a, a continued journey. I think um, really I've been able to move forward uh, much more on a professional level and, and helping at school than my personal uh, life. But I really have been able to um, allow that oops and reflect on that and move forward and do things differently instead of um, taking on that guilt. And and I was definitely a, a punishment and it wasn't enough. But, um, you know, that was an oops moment and I can do it a little differently. And I'm going to change um, doing it this way or um, adjust something that I'm doing uh, is really enhance my relationships too with my um, son, with my um, husband before, you know, if a crisis or a conflict happened, it was easier maybe to blame or uh, hide under that or uh, and, and deflect that. But now I, I can own that and um, be honest and, and move forward, um, knowing that we can shift and we can do it differently to learn from those moments for ourselves too. And I can see that. So you can see how the process that probably children are going through, we're going through the same process, you know, that we're working on ourselves, you know, because it's hard to punish ourselves in our head and then offer a true consequence to a child. Because if we're doing it to ourselves, we feel like it somehow magically is effective. It's not effective for us, but it'll be effective for them. So once again, you've illustrated how it starts with us first. Can you give a specific example of something maybe you might be critical about yourself or a little more punishing that you have now shifted, say, a trigger that happens often that you used to go, oh, my gosh, and beat yourself up for or a mistake you've made, and now you can just see it as an oops, uh, other opportunities to practice as opposed to guilt? A specific example that's very personal to me is uh, early on um, as a mom and my um, son is getting ready to turn eight. You know, I felt like everything had to be perfect. We, you know, had to do all the appointments perfectly and he needed to make every step perfect. And if it didn't fall just as you felt like you'd read it in a book, um, that that was a fail um, for me as a mom. And I really internalized that um, and, and guilted myself and um, was really punishing uh, myself with that. And now I just, I have those oops and I say, oops, you know, I, we, we missed this with school or um, we forgot to brush our teeth last night and um, we didn't get this accomplished. Let's figure out how we can, um, you know, get the homework the next time we left that in the folder overnight instead of really um, 
being so hard on myself that everything has to be perfect. And then really, um, when the stress is not there because you're not in that blame mode and you're, you're not punishing yourself, um, then things really do um, happen more efficiently. Uh, you're able to enjoy life and and to do things. And, and then I'm able to model that for my son. You know, mommy had an oops um, there. So when he has that oops moment, then we can learn from it and do it differently and do that together. And you can really see as you're talking that that intense pressure that we put on ourselves inside our head does come out on our children whether it's the children we teach or the children we are lucky to be gifted with at home, and also how it could come out on adult relationships with the teachers that you lead or with your significant others. So, I mean, you just highlighted that beautifully. So if a skeptic was listening to us, they're going, oh, my gosh, if you don't punish them, they're going to go wild and crazy and chaos and, you know, rape and pillage everyone. How would you explain this shift to them, moving from this idea that all consequences are either a reward or a punishment, as opposed to just what happens? It's the outcome. It's the effect of a cause. So how would you talk to a skeptic? And I know you have, because you've got to have skeptics at your school or your families you serve. I like to talk to skeptics and kind of... Um to start with that connection. And even in your personal uh, relationships, when your aunt or uncle or a, a close friend calls and says, you know, I've had some trouble and I need some some money, Could, would you be willing to loan that to me? You're more willing to help and support them than you would be that somebody walks up to you at the gas station and asks for money. You're, you're <laughs> a lot more hesitant to do yes, that. Yes, indeed. When you're in that relationship with someone, then you have that willingness. And the same thing happens with your family at home with um, your friends um, in, in your personal life. And then the same thing happens at school. So we have to first develop that relationship and get that willingness. And then um, those natural consequences happen. And when conflict comes up and those natural consequences occur um, and we can respond and we can problem solve and, and we can do that together, then we really see that shift. That makes complete sense. I mean, complete sense. So how has this kind of higher notion of consequences impacted your behavior support plan and your in-school suspension, if you have it? How has that carried over into actual practices? Uh, tremendously. We, um, the start of last school year, really um, took the district uh, plan and, and rewrote that to reflect um, utilizing conscious discipline and, and knowing that, you know, we do a response to intervention or the multi-tiered system of support. Uh, and, all, you know, all students are learning skills in our school family. But then as we um, step up, because I think that's what uh, folks want to know. Well, what about when we have these really challenging behaviors? And so we look at um, tier two or tier three. So more intensive support uh, and how we, we look to the skills of conscious discipline. So um, with safety, um, the noticing, um, utilizing visuals and routines, um, teaching composure. Uh, so go into those skills and we write that into the plan. Um, 
connecting rituals and, and using I love you rituals and trying to um, think outside the box, uh, especially with older kids. Um, I love you rituals are, are fun hand clap games that we uh, learned when we were kids that you did out, you know, sad with your friends or whatever. And, and then our, we are doing those as adults with kids to connect with them. And then the students are, are teaching one another and, and connecting and um, offering choices and um, uh, allowing for, for movement, um, d- using the Brain Smart Star and movement opportunities uh, throughout the day, uh, but really looking at uh, what, what are the missing skills and um, how can we provide that sense of safety and then the connection within our school family. And then, then we see the behavior shift. Then we see the academic gains with students because they're safe and they're connected here um, as a school family. So you just kind of summed all of conscious discipline up there in a a nutshell because conscious discipline consists of seven powers. Those are for adults and seven skills. And you almost went through each one of them. And one of those skills is consequences. It is the seventh because I just want our listeners to understand that it takes the first six to make sure that the seventh consequences that we can learn from our mistakes And that's just what Amy just explained to you, how she uses all six of those skills of conscious discipline. So the consequences, that moment when it occurs, we have the response ability. We have the skill to respond in a way that helps a child learn a new skill, just like teaching reading and writing. So, Amy, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. So let's sum this up, whether you're talking about the tier system when they get fearful that I don't see these massive consequences, but they're really talking about punishments. I don't see these in the plan jumping out at me. What are like three things you would like to say to them to kind of relax They're in there? but we want to use them as a teaching moment as opposed to something just to get a child to feel bad and hope they behave better. Right. Uh, You know, I think the three things as we um, look at making those consequences be effective is to um, start out with that um, school family and develop that safety and connection. I know that I've um, said that a a couple of times uh, here today and then, and really help teach those skills uh, and have those um, structures in place so that students can learn alongside um, the adults. And then when we are in our um, higher centers of our brain and in that executive state as adults, then in the building, we are able to see mistakes as an opportunity to learn to see those behaviors as a call for help. And then we're ready to teach those new skills. We um, are here in education because we want to teach. And just like when a student comes in and they don't know all their letters or um, they don't know their numbers and they aren't counting to 100 yet, we we continue to try new strategies. And so we're going to do that to teach the social, emotional, behavioral um, skills too to students. And then you, you think outside the box, just like we do with our academics. Sometimes we need to think outside the box and Um, really get to know what's going on with that student and what skills they are missing and and what the background is so that we can provide those um, opportunities socially and emotionally. And then the consequences become effective because those natural consequences, uh, we're able to feel that and reflect on um, the situation because the students are able to be in their executive state as well. 
if they've shifted into the lower centers um, of, of their brain, they are able to um, reflect on those choices and um, take ownership as, as well. So we've got to help them integrate their brain um, right alongside us. And then those consequences can become uh, effective. We, as adults, we have a choice every day, you know, when it comes um, to behaviors that stand out to us, especially um, as school administrators and, and teachers, um, when there's a lot of academic pressure, but when we um, really get down to it. We're here to teach. And so punishing and um, rescuing and saving, that's uh, not uh, going to help us move forward and, and get that permanent behavior change, but but teaching those skills and, and being connected and, and a part of that um, school family with them will. So let me just sum this up. So what you're saying is these missing social emotional skills are no different than missing reading and writing and science skills. And as we look to the reading to find out what skills are tripping them up so they can't make sense out of it, we're also taking social emotional skills and looking for the upset, the anger, the sadness that's getting in their way of learning a new skill. We respond to those emotions in a way they can handle them, teach them how to handle them, get them to a state, and then we can teach all day as opposed to thinking like we're there as a police or disciplining half the time and teaching half the time, the whole day is about teaching. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, Amy, for coming back and sharing your brilliance with us. Thank you again for having me, Dr. Bailey. Okay, so what is Becky up to? Well, some of you may know that a while ago, seems like decades ago, I tore my ACL, my MCL, and my meniscus in a skiing disaster. What am I celebrating? I can put my socks on and I am so excited. I actually can cross my leg, reach down and put my own socks on. You think I was five years old and ready for a birthday with the excitement I had. And so I think what I'm celebrating now is the small things. And I hope you'll join with me, the small things in life that add up, that make life so beautiful for each of us. Now, what am I up to? Well, I'm going to go off to uh, Japan with Amy Spidell. Some of you know her. She's a Master Conscious Discipline instructor. So we're going to go on the other side of the world and see if we can't learn something and share something. So safe travels to you all if you're taking a trip. Until next time, I wish you well. For more episodes of Real Talk with Real Teachers by Dr. Becky Bailey, visit ConsciousDiscipline.com forward slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app.